from South Carolina Public Radio. This is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on July 12th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features remarks from President Joe Biden, who was in town last week touting his Bidenomics agenda. We look at who is leading the fundraising race in the 2024 race, and we hear from Attorney General Alan Wilson about his ideas for judicial reform, something that needs to go through the legislature. And we have the latest on inflation when we do the numbers. We have a special report from Scott Morgan and troubling findings from a Department of Justice investigation on adults with disabilities in South Carolina. The lead loves hearing from you guys. I know you're out and about because it's summertime. We are the same. AT is in Maine right now. I'm back in Columbia. So if you're out and about, give us a shout, 803-563-7169. We hope that you're taking us with you on the road. So give us a shout what you're doing. We love hearing from you guys, 803-563-7169. President Joe Biden was in town last week touting his Bidenomics agenda as a result of major federal investment over the past several years that will continue to grow industries and jobs in South Carolina and across the country. We've seen two of his cabinet secretaries, Pete Buttigieg from Transportation and Jennifer Granholm with the Department of Energy, visit the Midlands in the past few days leading up to Biden's trip, in part to also tout the investments and jobs coming to the state thanks to the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, the Chips and Science Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act. And now Biden did the same at Flex Limited in West Columbia, which just announced a new $60 million clean energy manufacturing partnership with the solar firm Enphase Energy, which will bring in 600 new jobs and two manufacturing lines to the state. I came to office determined, to the point of some of my own team thought I was too determined, to change the economic direction of this country, to move trickle-down economics and get rid of it where everyone uh, uh, from the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, called the program Bidenomics. I'm not sure they meant it as a compliment at the time. Our plan is working. And one of the things I'm proudest of is working everywhere, not just in the coast and big cities like previous recoveries. This time, investment is working and factories being built and jobs being created, happening in rural America, the heartland, all across America, in communities that have been left out and hollowed out. This is what it looks like across the country. Over 13 million new jobs since I've been elected to office. More jobs than any president's ever created in the first two years. Nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs, including 14,000 in this state alone. This state alone. Biden's visit was in Republican Congressman Joe Wilson's second congressional district. Wilson, like the five other Republicans in the House delegation, voted against all three of the major investment bills. The White House said Wilson was made aware of the president's visit. Congressman Wilson, in a letter, said that it was sad that President Biden gave away $60 million to an energy supply plant a mile from my home, confirming he is subsidizing the Chinese Communist Party and their plan to implement American dependency on Chinese batteries and solar panels. Biden made a dig at former President Donald Trump's repeated failed attempts to improve America's infrastructure. This is the United States of America, for God's sake. We used to have the fastest infrastructure, the best infrastructure in the world rated number one. Now we're rated number 13 in the world in infrastructure. How can you have the best economy in the world and not have the best infrastructure in the world? 
Under my predecessor, Infrastructure Week became a punchline. Every, every, every month. Anyway, it's just, I won't get into it. <laughs> On my watch, we're making infrastructure a decade headline. A decade. Yesterday, we announced that since I took office, we've attracted a half a trillion dollars, $497 billion in private investment in American manufacturing, both here and around the world. It's historic. And it's Bidenomics in action. Instead of export exporting jobs, the cheaper labor for cost, what we did for decades, we're creating jobs here and exporting American product. Product, not jobs. That's the story here in South Carolina. And let's switch gears to the 2024 race, and I'm going to start off with a little tidbit I found online that says that the four White House candidates from South Carolina since 2016, including Senator Lindsey Graham in 2016, former Governor Mark Sanford in 2020, and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott in 2024 is double the number of Republican candidates from 1972 to 2012. A little tidbit there. Haley and Scott will both appear in former Fox News personality Tucker Carlson's candidate forum in Des Moines, Iowa on Friday morning. They'll join several other 2024 candidates live on Blaze TV at 10 a.m. You can watch that on YouTube or catch the highlights here next week. Also, we saw second-quarter fundraising numbers released from some of the 2024 candidates, including Haley. Her campaign raised $7.3 million in the second quarter. That was a full three months of her campaign up and running after it launched in February. The total included $5.3 million raised by her campaign and money from two allied committees, according to the New York Times. Haley's super PAC, Stand for America Fund Incorporated, also announced it raised $18.7 million, with $17 million on hand at the end of June. Haley also announced that she has $9.3 million cash on hand at the end of June. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign said it had raised $20 million, while a super PAC supporting him had raised $130 million since March. Former President Donald Trump's joint fundraising committee said it had raised $35 million in the second quarter, and it's not clear how much went to his campaign committee, according to the New York Times. And while we haven't seen Senator Tim Scott's fundraising hall yet, he launched his campaign on May 22nd and reportedly raised $2 million in the first 24 hours. Scott also came in the race with some $22 million in Senate campaign funds that he was set to transfer to his presidential campaign. Moving on, Attorney General Alan Wilson gaveled in a roundtable with lawmakers in Charleston on Monday to discuss judicial reform, an issue that gained significant attention this year following the state Supreme Court's 3-2 decision invalidating the six-week abortion ban law in January. With the replacement of retired Justice Kay Hearn and the passage of a new six-week ban that was before the now all-male high court last month, the law is expected to be found constitutional. At least that's what lawyers for the state are expecting. But the process reinvigorated the need to revamp the way judges are selected in South Carolina. While no one is advocating for popular election of judges, there is undoubtedly room for improvement in the highly political process in which lawmakers elect judges from up to three qualified candidates that are vetted by the Judicial Merit Selection Commission, which includes a handful of lawmakers and others. Here's Attorney General Alan Wilson. I want to address the imbalance of power. I want there to be equal power between the executive and the legislative branch of government. Um, right now, in the process for selecting candidates and electing those candidates to the bench, the executive branch has zero say. There is absolutely zero involvement. We are relegated, and I say we, everyone in the executive branch, relegated to the corner. 
we don't think the executive branch should have more power than the legislative branch, just equal power. I think most people here who graduated from third grade civics knows that there's, there's three branches of government at the state and federal level, and those branches are designed to be equal checks on the ambition of each other. Right now, I want to couple the power that exists with accountability. I will explain. The current system is designed so that it consolidates all the power in one branch of government while dispersing accountability. If people, if someone is angry about the, the quality or the conduct of the judges that we have, whatever the beef may be, who do you go to? Who do you point the finger? Who do you blame? Right now, you can blame the legislature, but there's 170 of you. Um, and so there needs to be more accountability. So couple, right now the power and the accountability have been decoupled. My interest is to couple them back together. Anytime you give power to someone, they should be accountable with that power. Other principles Wilson outlined included promoting confidence in government, deterring legislative abuse, mitigating unfair criticisms of judges and legislators, and promoting and maintaining the judiciary. Wilson wants to see our system align closer with the federal system where the president, or in this case the governor, nominates judicial candidates. But our Constitution might make that difficult. In Article 5 of the state Constitution, it requires the legislature, there must exist 527, Section 5, our, um, Article 5, Section 27 of the Constitution requires that a Judicial Merit Selection Com Commission be in existence, and then it requires the General Assembly to vote on candidates that are vetted by that JMSC. So, unless you're going to open up and amend the Constitution, we have to reform within the confines of the Constitution. I'm not saying we shouldn't do something in the future, but there's a lot that we can do now. The makeup of the JMSC is purely a creature of statutory construction. With that being said, operating within the confines of the current constitutional framework that we have that I just talked about, my position is as follows. All JMSC members are appointed by the governor. No legislators serve on the commission, lawyer or otherwise. Remove the cap of three most qualified when screening applicants. Members of the bar and the general public must have an opportunity to weigh in, either through a comment process or a committee process on the quality of the applicants for those judicial vacancies. And finally, the legislature has the final confirmation vote. You all are the final determination of that. Also leading the discussion was Scarlett Wilson, the Ninth Circuit Solicitor, which covers Berkeley and Charleston counties. Wilson says it will always be a political practice, but there needs to be more transparency, especially when it comes to legislators who are practicing lawyers who can wield undue influence in a court proceeding. When I go into court, I am against someone who can hire, fire, and retain, and I don't have that. And even though everybody can be doing everything right, my victim who's sitting beside me, I mean, sometimes I'm literally having to defend the defense attorney and the judge to say, no, it wasn't about that. It, this isn't what happened, and that's not why the ruling went that way. But unringing that bell for them, um, and maybe 30 years ago when there wasn't Twitter and Facebook and everything else, people didn't really realize all these connections. Now people know. And now I think it's important that we make things more congruent so that people can have confidence in what's going on in the courtroom and that they can know that decisions are made on the merits of the case and not on something else. Attorney General Alan Wilson said he'd be willing to go on the road across the state spreading the message and raising money to do so, or are working with party caucuses as well. 
While there were more than two dozen House members present, including four House Democrats, there were only three senators. So clearly there is a lot of work that remains to be done, and there weren't even many prominent leaders in attendance. No Judiciary Committee chairman or other leaders, though House Speaker Merle Smith's chief of staff, Patrick Dennis, was there to observe. Now, will this end up on the 2024 legislative agenda? Maybe in some capacity. All we had this past year was tough talk from the governor on down, but no changes. Again, that talk coming from the governor during his State of the State address and calls for reforms following the abortion decision. I asked Attorney General Alan Wilson what was prompting this push now, and he said this. So first off, I've been having this discussion for years. Um, I had a major press conference, you know, um, when I, after the Murdoch trial was completed, and we, we had a, 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 the vast majority of solicitors, and I think nearly, if not half, of the sheriffs were in attendance at that press conference, um, just to try to raise awareness. Um, I'm doing it now this summer. First off, all of the legislators are down here for a conference. It's six months before session starts. We don't want to wait till December to have the conversation. We would like to raise the awareness now, create some synergy, and get some energy behind this thing so that when we hit Christmas and we hit the new year, we're running full speed on some on a real reform package. Um, I love this room. What I loved about this room is there was diversity of thought. It was Republicans and Democrats. I mean, everyone came here recognizing that we have a need to reform the selection methodology for judges in South Carolina. So I think there's a real opportunity for us to do some reform this coming year. South Carolina Public Radio's Mayan Schechter asked more bluntly whether this was a slow rollout to an eventual 2026 gubernatorial campaign. Here's Wilson again. Um, what I tell people every time I get asked this question is, is that I just literally put my hand on the Bible six months ago and swore an oath to be the Attorney General for South Carolina. And the idea of thinking about doing anything else outside of being the Attorney General of South Carolina is not something I'm even prepared to talk about or even think about. So we'll see what lawmakers plan to do next session when we get there. But the ball is rolling. But to make such a change to a system in such a short time period would be mm, unusual. The next big high-profile judicial election will be next year when Chief Justice Donald Beatty turns 72, the mandatory retirement age in April. Let's move on to inflation. Yes, we have a little update for you. The Department of Labor released new consumer price index data for June that shows inflation has dropped to 3% for the last 12 months ending in June. Yes, inflation is running at 3%. This was the smallest 12-month increase since the period ending March 2021. This is also down from the 4% rate we were running in May and drastically down from the 9.1% rate that we were at a year ago. So when everyone starts complaining about inflation, be like, yeah, it's 3%, not 9.1%, okay? So just a little, a little comparison there. Now, we're still off the Fed's target rate of 2%, and getting there will still take some work. The biggest drivers of inflation, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is housing, accounting for 70% of the increase, as well as vehicles. Gasoline prices also increased. Now, core CPI, which excludes volatile food and energy categories, rose 4.8% in June from a year earlier, the slowest pace since October 2021 and down from 5.3% in May. This cooling comes as the job market, while still strong, also saw the addition of 209,000 jobs in June. Remember, the Fed did pause interest rate increases last month, but are expected to increase them again by a quarter of a percentage point later this month to help push inflation lower. 
As for jobs, any time we're over 200,000 a month is a good sign. And for the first six months of this year, monthly job growth averaged 278,000 jobs. Average wages in June were also 4.4% higher than they were last year. Let's stick with this economic data and talk about how everyone is heading south and their money's coming with them. That's right, the Morning Brew reports that over the last two years, more than 2.2 million people have relocated to the southeast, sparking economic and industrial growth across states like Florida, Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. The online news outlet adds that for the first time in history, those six states are contributing more to the national GDP than the Northeast. But it doesn't stop there. Since early 2020, the Southeast has been responsible for two-thirds of all job growth in the U.S., along with being home to 10 of the 15 fastest-growing U.S. cities. The recent migration has seen more than $100 billion in wealth transferred south from the Northeast and the West. Bring it to the lead, folks. Bring us... Bring it to us. (laughs) And now for a report from South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan, who looks at the availability of fresh produce in one area of Rock Hill and what one nonprofit is doing to address it. So, this is Southside Rock Hill. By the end of this story, you're going to come to understand why some people around here really hate that geographical distinction. But it is nevertheless where we're standing next to a greenhouse on Crawford Road that belongs to a nonprofit market named Pharmacy. That's F-A-R-M Pharmacy, not P-H Pharmacy. And apart from this one small shop right next to us, the nearest place to buy fruits and vegetables, let's take Crawford Road, Heckle Boulevard, Rock Hill, is two miles away. If we're not counting that one food line, we're sitting at a place where about five to seven miles from any fresh food. And we're talking about, when we're saying fresh food, we're talking about food that's good for you and not packed full of pesticides and Red 40. Seven miles or five or two, depending on where in this neighborhood you start from, isn't far, provided you don't have to walk it and back, carrying heavy groceries, which one in five residents of this U.S. Census tract might sometimes have to do because they don't have access to a vehicle. I mean, there is a public bus, and it is free, but it doesn't stop at every house in Southside. And even with the free bus, it's a lot easier to get to convenience stores and dollar shops than to produce aisles in supermarkets, which Jada Jackson isn't all that happy about. Technically, we're in the hood. (laughs) And so that's the thing about being in places that have food apartheid. It's like they pack us full of dollar stores so we eat this crappy food instead of giving us access to fresher food. Jackson, who goes by Jay, is the agribusiness manager of Innovation Garden, an offshoot of Victory Gardens International and the urban growing arm of Pharmacy. And not that many years ago, Jay most likely would have qualified this long-standing, historically black and perpetually poor neighborhood as a food desert. We prefer to use the term food apartheid. Deserts are naturally created, apartheid are something that's created through systems and policy. If you've never heard the phrase food apartheid before, well, that's pretty much apropos to the point Jonathan Nazir, the founder of Pharmacy, is making. The term's actually been around for a few years, and it calls out the systemic planning realities of the past that built black neighborhoods removed from white ones and all the amenities, like supermarkets, that come with, air quote, good neighborhoods. The effects of redlining is a direct reason why there are no grocery stores in this community. The literal color coding of areas of town to mark where white people and non-white people could live, redlining, was policy into the middle of last century. With communities of color so conveniently dyed stop sign red on land maps, business developers like food merchants knew where the money was and wasn't. 
And if the effects of such segregation were consigned to the 1950s, that would be bad enough. The problem, Nazir reminds, is that communities like Southside Rock Hill are still feeling the echoes of redlining. We know city officials and developers who have been trying to get a big box grocery store in this community for years. It's just difficult for them to come when they do their formula and figure that there's just not enough median income or roofs in the area. Well, that's not a result of the folks in the community. That's a result of policies that were created decades ago. And this is why Nazir and his wife Crystal opened this small nonprofit produce market here. To be an island until, he hopes, the economics of healthy food sales and historically separated communities like Southside Rock Hill align. And the pharmacy is working with the city itself. Its space on the Emmett Scott Center grounds is public property, something the city's chief community development coordinator, Tadian Page, sees as an important step in the neighborhood's evolution. Not only are they creating workforce and job opportunities for youth in our community, but they're focusing on the health of people in this community as well. I think those are the type of partners we as a city would like to be at the table with because they're the ones on the ground, boots on the ground, moving our communities forward. No one here believes that this collective is a permanent solution to the larger problem. But they all say it is a step towards self-sufficiency in a neighborhood set aside decades ago from mainstream society. So far off to the side, in fact, that people don't think of it as part of the Rock Hill community. They just think of it as Southside. Thanks for that report, Scott. You can find that and more at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And a disturbing report on the way out. On July 6th, the Justice Department determined that there is a reasonable cause to believe that South Carolina violates Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act by failing to provide sufficient community-based services to prevent unnecessary institutionalization of adults with mental illness. The Department of Justice said, according to their investigation, the state subsidizes their stay in adult care homes where people have little contact with people without disabilities, often leaving the homes only for medical appointments and group visits to grocery and convenience stores. Critical services that would allow adults with mental illness to live instead in their own homes and communities are not sufficiently available across the state. U.S. Attorney Adair Ford Burroughs for the District of South Carolina said in a statement, quote, a sacred promise of the ADA includes giving people a meaningful choice for where they wish to live, including in their own private home. I hope that the violations identified by the Justice Department can be remedied so that these South Carolinians will be able to leave the shadow of institutional living and instead live in and contribute to their communities, quote. The department's investigation found South Carolina lacks needed community-based mental health services such as assertive community treatment, supported employment, permanent supportive housing, intensive case management, and peer support. These services are provided in certain parts of the state, but are not sufficiently available to afford opportunities to avoid or move out of adult care homes and live in the community. As a result, thousands of adults with mental illness are segregated in adult care homes for years. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. And someone's taking a little break from work, AT, but you're making time for us now, like all good leaders do. <laughs> we still find time on our vacations to, to put together the podcast. Yeah. How American is this that even though I'm on vacation, I'm still working. I'm I'm taking I'm winding down from vacation. Gavin is in the office slamming airhead extremes. Love it. I've got some candy in my mouth. Somehow they're making him cough. I, <laughs> I hope it sounds good. Who knows? <laughs> Could be the abundance of sugar and saliva production. I 
I hope everyone appreciates me working from Maine. I'm in Jonesport, Maine. Try and find it on a map. I bet you cannot. Try and find <laughs> me. Give him a lobster roll <laughs> if you see that man. Yes, I am one for one on lobster rolls, in, in its, and I've been here for one day. This is my second day. I'm hoping to have at least one more lobster roll today. I've also got a blueberry pie in, which is Ooh. elite and blessed, truly. You know? Jeez, living. Anyway, Gavin, happy birthday to you. This is your Thank first you. pod, fully, fully uh, birthdayed. How was that for you? 37th, yeah. Um, it was great. We had a great little time. Uh, I was down in Charleston after it was in Edisto uh, last week, celebrating July 4th, so then I just celebrated my birthday. Was going for a very low key birthday this year. I didn't like have any plans, but of course things just <laughs> materialized, which I knew they would. Uh, was with my dad and my stepmom, and uh, had some friends down. They just got a pool put in, so I was like, I'm just the gonna pool hang in this gorgeous pool. looking, gorgeous <laughs> you looking. You know, it's hot. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll chill out here. We went out to dinner um, at Vern's. I've never been there before. It's kind of off mm -hmm. King Street. It's nice. It's a nice little chill location. Had some wonderful food. Then went out and saw some friends. And one night we were out at the bar. Um, and I was doing a jello shot, if you've ever heard of these mm. things before. And First I've ever heard. And by accident, some got on my shirt, so of course I had to take my shirt off, which I just was of a gallivanting about. This is, this is <laughs> natural. This is natural. I had to gallivant around with my uh, my undershirt on, my tank top, and had of course, to. you know. Had you know, to. It was one of those tragic things, but it really uh, was a fun, fun time. It was like an old school <laughs> birthday party. Like I've had <laughs> early in my 30s, I was like, okay, we're a little, go a little crazy tonight, but it was fun. Well, folks. Gavin, he's still got it. All right, just a, just a little glimpse into the insanity. I don't want to scare too many of our listeners away. Away. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Gavin, we're gonna double dip here, okay? Because I've had a voicemail for uh since last week, and it's it's time to hear it. So, are you yeah. ready for this first dip of the double dip? Yes. Hi, this is Debbie calling from Indian Land, South Carolina. And I listen to your podcast. I just started listening to it, and I just want to say. Um, I really think it's time that we stop giving Trump airtime. We stop replaying his speeches. We stop, um, uh, you know, getting his voice out there. He's constantly lying. There's nothing that he is saying has any truth to it. We know this. Um, there's nothing that he says that ha that's based in fact. Um, and, and I really think that we need to stop. We need to stop giving him this airplay. Um, and call it is, call it what it is. You, we, all of us were doing a disservice by not calling the process when it's wrong. And, um, that's, that's my feedback for today. Um, but I'll tell you, I'm just sick and tired of listening to him get up there in front of 50,000 people and spew a bunch of lies and nobody's holding him accountable. Um, and these 50,000 people believe everything he says because there's nobody that's standing up for the truth. So that's, that's my comment for today. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Debbie, thank you for calling. And yes, your concern is out of many people's as well. Uh, we saw a lot of that from the CNN town hall with him as well, that you saw a lot of people have reactions to giving him that platform, that hour-long live television platform as well. And I know a lot of people share that concern. Uh, but we do realize that, you know, as journalists, we have to share a message of what he's talking about because he is definitely uh, leading the pack in the Republican field right now, probably could become the nominee if things hold true as they're going right mm -hmm. now. Exactly. So you kind of need to hear what he's saying, even if you don't agree with it. And uh, even if he takes substantial liberties with the truth, which we all know 
uh, is the case. I think a lot of our listeners can maybe can parse out some of the truths versus the hyperbole. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we heard. I think we. I kind of gave a, a smattering. I know it was kind of a longer podcast on the Trump rally that was in Pickens, but I kind of gave a good smattering of what he was saying. Um, and just cut out some of those just straight mistruths just so we didn't mislead too many folks, though obviously the fact checks are available. Um, because a lot of people do just believe everything, like you said, Debbie, like hook, line, and sinker. And it's, uh, it's again, great liberties with the truth there, if any. I think, I think Gavin is right, though, that uh, if all holds, if everything holds as it's going right now, he, he is going to be the Republican nominee. And so don't you want to know what he's saying, what his voters base is thinking like that mm-hmm. that's the st- sort of stuff that i think gavin we would be doing our listeners a disservice if we didn't tell them and then all of a yeah. sudden when it is 1v1 in 2024 then you're just learning about this then like yeah. i think it's it's a little bit better to at least be informed with what's going on anyway debbie thank you for calling i love it i love you so much Time yeah, for the not, second and not, Yeah, not every uh, podcast is going to be, you know, devoted just to one candidate, too. That was just the first time we've heard from the man since January in South Carolina. So that's why I wanted to give you guys a really good smattering of all the different things he was talking about. Uh, Gavin, I would say this was a top-tier smatter, not <laughs> getting any better. And I mean, it was a great smatter. So anyway, Gavin, are you ready for dip two? Yes. Okay, decidedly different dip. Here we go. Hey, Gavin and AT. This is Michael from Columbia, longtime listener, second time caller. I heard AT was looking for pizza recommendations in Charleston. And if you haven't already been, Sam's Brewing Company has the best pizza I've ever had in Charleston. It's on Folly Road. It's fantastic. Also, I'd like to say that I'm very bummed out about the moving of the open house date because that was on the day of a dance recital that I had to go to. So pretty bummed I wasn't able to go to that. And then lastly, uh, I had an idea for a South of Spooky episode, if you ever come back for a season two, which I'm patiently waiting for, is the story of Julia Laguerre, I think is her name, on Edisto Island. My grandmother lives there and she uh Told, she brought us to this church and told us this story about how she was entombed alive. And uh, it's a pretty spooky story. Love it. Um, and y'all should definitely use it if you do South of Spooky again. Other than that, uh, I'm going to vote for you in the free times. And I encourage everybody else to for best podcast and also craft and draft because they're awesome. And not for best podcast, but, you know. Keep up the good work. Love the work y'all guys do and love listening to the lead and not looking forward to the summer break. So talk to you later and peace out. Michael, thank you for calling with the recommendations and um, also the, um, the suggestion for South of Spooky. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> we don't think we'll get to South of Spooky this year, unfortunately, but we are promising you one for 2024. <laughs> <laughs> season two. <laughs> We, I do think we'll get to a season two. Yes. Thank you also for the pizza recommendation. I will absolutely mm-hmm. try it while I'm down there. Uh, not sure if uh, what I expect from it, but I will try it as there are no Italians in Charleston. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, 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 the sad ghost that sounds, uh, that sounds like a Gavin type story there. You yes. know, Gavin likes the sad ghost. He loves infrastructure. Oh. Very point, point set bridge. Oh. <laughs> the, the four lover. Whis- 
wistfully thinking where his love is. Yes. Will yeah, they tour- see him shirtless <laughs> on King Street? Who knows? Maybe oh my one God, King day. Street, dude. It is. You know, I I like Charleston. I guess I could say I love Charleston, but I love Columbia more, honestly. Like, I don't care. You can print that. Um, mm-hmm. But was out with our friend Kate one night. I think it was a Friday night. Yeah, it might have been. And just walking down King Street, I'm like, I know it's always been a hot mess, but it is just such a hot mess. And I'm like, it's <clears> nuts. You know, I saw almost two people. We were on a street corner just waiting for friends. And in the span of less than 10 minutes, I saw almost two people get hit by cars. And it mm-hmm. was their fault. I'm like, what is yes. going? And like, they have the restricted 100%. travel lanes. It is just bonkers. Like, he's just rocking and rolling out there. And I know there's a great police presence to really kind of maintain the calm and security, but they do it, as it good can as just, they can. It can just explode at a moment's notice at any given time. People mm-hmm. just shouting at each other and like, oh my gosh, everyone needs to chill out. I don't know. I, it's just interesting to see it change. I know everyone's excited about growth, but. It's very just so many New York, New Jersey vibes going on. It's I know ba- you can understand. I, know, I, I agree. It's so many we people got that Soho I left House in my rear coming view. now. Like it's like okay. Spe- let's speaking just- about people coming from New York, New Jersey down here. You know, yeah. I thought I left them all in my rear view, and they chased me. They followed they ch- yeah. me, and like, they, oh. they haunt my life. I will say, Columbia is somewhat insulated from that, so we're hey, gonna we keep got, that going. We got, we got space. If 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 some of these people, <laughs> instead of being like the thirty fifth best restaurant in Charleston, maybe come in, come to Columbia and be like top ten, baby. You know what I mean? Top ten, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like we, be, I mean, be the best restaurant in, in Columbia instead. Anyway, on that note, Gavin, it is time to go. I hope everyone enjoyed this. I'm probably going to eat a lobster roll in a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just let the, We love you. Next week will be normal, right? You go to sleep with a lobster roll. You wake up with a lobster roll. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. I'm downing a lobster roll before bed. That My doctor told me to do it, okay? Who am I to say no? A little cup of melted butter on the bedside. Have a good week. We love you. Is next week normal, Gavin? I think it is, right? We should be normal unless we feel like not being normal. But we're going to be in Miami first week of August. So start getting ready, folks. Leads going to Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Hit him with the outro, Gavin. Thanks for listening to the pod, guys. You can always show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a voicemail like Debbie and Michael did at 803-563-7169. You can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. <laughs> Love how many of those you just ate. <laughs> Man, I got all this phlegm now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with it all. <clears throat> These damn airheads. They are extreme. <laughs> <laughs>